Have you ever wondered if we are alone in the universe? Is there any scientific evidence showing that an intelligent designer created the heavens and the earth? Welcome to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk AM 570 and 910. You may have heard about the debate over intelligent design and Darwinism. Find out what the evidence says about the origin of life and mankind, and just what the experts are saying. Darwin or Design, brought to you by the C.S. Lewis Society. Now your host, the author of Doubts About Darwin and Darwin Strikes Back, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College in Trinity, Florida, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to Darwin or Design. We come to you each week on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, WTBN, AM 570 and 910. And I am Tom Woodward, the weekly host. I'm your professor or teacher, or uh, you might say briefer. I'm briefing you each week on outbreaks of skepticism in the world of biology directed toward the Darwinian theory of evolution, skepticism based on new evidence and based on the accumulation of strong evidence that points toward design. And of course, we venture out into related areas such as technology and cloning and all things pertaining to DNA. And we, of course, venture as well into the areas of philosophy and theology and just biblical concepts right and left because we are sponsored each week by the C.S. Lewis Society, an organization that has been housed for 20 years now on the college campus at Trinity College of Florida, up in Trinity, Florida, at the north end of Tampa Bay. So we want to say a big thank you, a big hearty thank you to the C.S. Lewis Society. And we're also uh, announcing this week the creation of a new motto, which uh, we have been going under the motto, helping skeptics doubt their doubts, which we still like that idea. We're out there exposing the problems of the skeptical worldview, the worldview that rejects the no of a transcendent designer, but we're also introducing a parallel motto, presenting compelling evidence for Christian faith. So we're not just, as it were, questioning the doubts of doubters. We're also presenting a positive message, the compelling evidence that points rather strongly toward Christian faith. The basis of this program is, is the case, you might say, the case for a creator and the case for Christ. So again, I want to thank, uh, as I is my very much desire each week, to thank my technical producer, my overseer of all things technical, Bill Carl. Thank you so much for enabling us to come on to WTBN each week. Glad to be here and excited to hear today's program in terms of what's been going on over the last couple of weeks here in the state of Florida relative to the debate between uh, Darwinism and uh, other ways of looking at creation. Yes, and we have uh, we have literally been overwhelmed with news, and there's so much to cover in this uh, opening a couple of segments. I actually have on the phone waiting to comment on the Florida news related to Darwinism and design. I have a professor of biology at the University of Wisconsin at the Superior Campus. It's up in the town of Superior, way up north, I believe, in Wisconsin. But a, a colleague in this area of study of evidence for design in bio, biology and biological systems. And I just want to welcome uh, to our program, I believe for the second time, Dr. Ralph Silkey. Are you there? I am. Very hello, good. Hello, Tom. Okay, hello. I hope things are comfortable and not too icy chilly up there in oh, Superior? It's about zero degrees, but it's sunny and beautiful. Okay. Well, you know, I actually can imagine uh, walking through the city of Superior, Wisconsin, enjoying zero degrees. I actually, I'm a buff. I'm a fan of cold weather. I think Bill looks at me as like i gotten off a spacecraft from Mars and thinking I'm weird. You know, why don't I move up there? Well, I enjoy the warm weather of Florida now and then, too. But uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's not uh, so chilly in here. Now, probably it's not that chilly in your lab. Are you in your it office? It's, you're in your off, 
office up there? I am in my office uh, mm-hmm. right next door to where I both teach and do my research, the okay. lab. Right. And, of course, your lab research, which I've written about in my book, uh, the uh, second volume of my, my study of intelligent design, Darwin Strikes Back, I discuss it, I believe, in both Chapter 2 and Chapter 12. But we want to get to that in the next couple segments. We have a lot of really exciting overview of your research playing around, I shouldn't say playing around, researching, <laughs> uh, forcing those E. coli bacteria to try to do some tricks, and there uh, there's some interesting results you're finding, and we want to get to that in a minute, but I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Ralph Silke to kind of listen in, because for the past six or eight months, there has been an intense process of rewriting the standards for teaching science in Florida. So this is the uh, the standards for teaching all science in all the counties of Florida. It is uh, it is a series of guidelines that is more or less mandatory as far as I understand it, but it's built to a climax and the, the climactic decision, the vote of the State Board of Education was yesterday. And when I'm, of course, recording this program, it'll be just a few days ago as you hear the program on Saturday afternoon. The, the actual vote was to uh, a, uh, a package of recommendations that had been developed through a state writing committee. And the bottom line is this. The theory of evolution was presented not just as something that is to be taught explicitly, but something that is to be taught rather uncritically. And so instead of exposing students to the problems of the theory, the exciting development of new problems with these theory, the, the, the problems are swept under the rug. The negative evidence is sequestered. It's locked away in the closet. Students can't hear about it. And so we think that that is a problematic in the extreme. So I'm going to just grab a couple of these front page um, stories. The Tampa Tribune. This is actually the February 20th front page on Tampa edition of the Tampa Tribune. The top uh, headline says, Critics say evolution fight not over. And if you go on into the discussion... Of these standards, it says that um, I'll read here just a quick uh, paragraph from our friend Rich Aiken, who is the chief executive officer of a doctor's organization that is questioning macro evolution. Um, the, uh, the addition of the word scientific theory uh, to these state sand standards at the last minute, they kind of tacked on the words uh, scientific theory of evolution. That's the only change that was made. There was no substantive substantive change to bring out the negative evidence to bring out the empirical problems with uh, the macro theory of evolution it says adding scientific theory does nothing to fix that said rich aiken chief executive officer of and it names the doctor's organization uh, physicians and surgeons for scientific integrity when the board continuing this article when the board chose not to take up the stronger language proposed by the activists Aiken said they basically made a decision to make no decision. And then he says, this is not over. And he refers to legislation that is, as I understand, pending now and about to be put into the hopper up in Tallahassee. Now, Dr. Silke, as you have maybe followed to some extent these proposed changes Mm -hmm. in the state law here in Florida, where... Uh, the Darwinian theory of, we're not talking about microevolution, minor changes, which is pretty much undisputed, largely undisputed along, you know, among any of these groups. But the macro theory of evolution is treated and explicitly stated to be the foundation that all biology rests on. Could you comment on that? Well, I, my, uh, 
my, my little quip on this is that sometimes it's taught as if uh, as if Carl Cape, Carl Sagan had caught the whole thing on time lapse video, and uh, <laughs> it's just not true. And um, uh, the I think the the danger of of, uh, of adding the term scientific theory uh, is that in some cases scientific becomes naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it, this is the naturalistic which becomes. Um, yeah, the, the how do we explain life when we begin with uh, no creator at all. Can you explain naturalistic? Give, oh, just nat- I think most people would see naturalistic and materialistic and probably atheistic as being, mm-hmm. being very similar words. Okay. And so this is, and unfortunately what happens is being a scientist and, and uh, being an atheist almost become... Uh, be- become one, you know, become synonymous. Unfortunately, and it's like mm-hmm. this is this is how this is the atheist creation story. Unfortunately, it's, and it, but it comes across with all the authority of science mm-hmm. that this is true because we are scientists and we know better. And uh, I I just simply think the students are much better off uh, knowing the evidence for and the evidence against. Well, and, and teachers, uh, I would I think teachers uh, should be free. Uh, to uh, to present the evidence for to present uh, that's there, uh, but certainly present the evidence uh, against it. The 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 problems, what evolution has to do, and what it simply can't be shown to be able to do. Okay, let me read um, from the opinion page of the St. Pete Times. Again, this is the same day that the decision was passed to approve these standards, these very hardcore pro-macroevolution standards as is, without any tw- uh, tweaking or tinkering. Uh, this is the uh, the heart of the editorial. Let me read this uh, real quickly and then ask you to comment on this. Scientific theory, you know, they're talking about the addition of the word scientific theory. Scientific theory is not a guess or a mere hypothesis. It is a framework that explains observable facts. In biology, continuing, this is the uh, St. Pete Times editorial, in biology, evolution is the, italicized word the, is the unifying theory that continues to be reinforced and verified by ever more sophisticated research. There is no credible alternative scientific theory. Can you comment on that? Yeah, they're probably using scientific again in the sense of naturalistic. And Philip Johnson uh, was uh, was very good at this in Darwin on Trial. You know, if you if you start with the assumption that nature is all there is, uh, you naturally, mm-hmm. excuse the pun, mm-hmm. come up with something that looks like evolution. And uh, in, in, in spite of the evidential problems, uh, in spite of of all the problems that are there, um, I, I remember a. A conversation with a colleague a while back who and we were we were looking at one of these butterflies that mimicked other butterflies and and I was just it was a, sort of an off the cuff question about how this could happen and and he wasn't a he wasn't a real firm evolutionist mm-hmm. but he it's sort of in the air he breathed and and he said well it's simply a matter of time you know wow. and and uh, he hadn't thought about it much and you know he wasn't going to be incred- incredulous about this mm-hmm. and so um, so there's just uh, in, unfortunately, it, it, uh, there's this uh, there um, because of the naturalistic assumptions that drive these things. Right. Like this has to be mm-hmm. the true theory, and and again, scientific uh, becomes becomes conflated. Right. Um, it becomes uh, almost synonymous with naturalistic. 
Can I can I hold you to hold, ask you to hold that thought? We're out of time at this segment. I want to come back and read some more of this editorial. You're listening to an exciting discussion with Dr. Ralph Silke at the University of Wisconsin. We'll be right back with Darwin or Design. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design. I'm Tom Woodward, your host and your instructor in things scientific and apologetics uh, is one of our topics that we get into each week. And we're really excited about the opportunity to cover hot, hot news that has been decided on. At least it's been coming out on the presses uh, almost every day since the decision was made there in Tallahassee just a matter of a few days ago to really clamp down on the issue of evolution and present it dogmatically and strictly as a matter of unquestioned fact. And the students really are uh, denied the opportunity to hear a very exciting set of new evidences that are being published in mainstream journals, right and left, uh, being published in important new books. Uh, The book, uh, The Edge of Evolution, we've talked about by Michael B. He summarizes a lot of this exciting new evidence pertaining to the limitations, to the incredible limitations of evolution. And we have with us on the phone from his uh, office in the biology department at the University of Wisconsin up in the Superior campus. I'm sure they don't necessarily consider themselves superior to the Madison campus. Well, that's actually our slogan. Uh, we're next to Duluth, Minnesota, and one of our slogans is, next to Duluth, we're superior. Oh, I love it. Well, you know, University of Wisconsin has many campuses, and I know, I've, I've been actually, did you know that I was at the Eau Claire campus a number really? of years okay. ago? It was about four years ago. Very and I was, nice campus. Yeah, I enjoyed the experience of lecturing there, but uh, I didn't get up to the superior campus, and you've been uh, there, Dr. Ralph Silky for how many years? I think this is 18 years now. Oh, that's great. Well, it's about roughly the same time I've been here in Florida. So between the two of us, we've got the, the nation uh, covered <laughs> north and south. So uh, I actually met Dr. Ralph Silkey at a uh, conference and I believe it was at uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Yes, it was. At the big convention center there. And Dr. Silkey, uh, you gave a talk summarizing your research with E. coli bacteria and all that you're doing with them that was almost shocking. I mean, it was so, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. You probably didn't notice it since I was the MC and I was kind of standing at the side of the auditorium. But I, I remember the people coming up afterwards buzzing about your, you know, like, did you hear that, that incredible talk by Dr. Silkey? So it was exciting to be able to kind of feature you as one of the most important researchers. Let me repeat that word, researchers, doing research, experimental research on the issue of intelligent design, uh, in, in my view, in the, in the United States. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to overplay this, but it's very, very interesting research, and we want to get to that in just a few minutes. Do you mind if I ask you a little bit more about your opinion on these new changes in Florida? Sure. Okay. Uh, I was reading a paragraph from the opinion page of the St. Pete Times where they were commenting and basically congratulating the State Board of Education for toughening up and tightening the the teaching of evolution as fact. And, of course, I consider this an appalling breach of common sense and good educational judgment because this uh, dogmatic presentation of Darwinian theory as unquestionable and unquestioned goes against, it flies in the face of everything that's been happening for the last 10 or 15 years with reams of new evidence casting doubt on the ability of mindless 
mindless mechanisms, keep in mind, everybody, uh, to create com- complexity of computer-like nature, of a code-like nature, of incredible like machine nature, where you have machines linked with machines in like a virtual city inside of our cells. So uh, let me just rep- repeat um, what they say down here. They said, and we were finishing the discussion of this in the last segment, there is no credible alternative scientific theory. Other options such as intelligent design or creationism, are a matter of personal beliefs or religious teachings. They should be discussed in an appropriate educational setting, but they do not belong in a science curriculum. Now, before we zero in on that, let me just remind everybody that none of the proposed changes, the minority report done by Fred Cutting on the writing committee, None of the changes proposed inserting any kind of creationism, let alone any kind of design theory, into the curriculum. All they asked is that the negative, the subverting or hostile evidence that has been appearing in the public venue, in the public uh, uh, scrutiny in recent years, that the negative evidence be presented. That being said, this is a rather interesting comment when they say other options such as intelligent design. And let me leave out the phrase or creationism. Let me just repeat this. Uh, Intelligent design is a matter of personal belief or religious teaching. What would you say to the editorial writer of the St. Pete Times? Well, in my my own views of this have uh, evolved somewhat. Okay. Uh, the pun again. Okay. Um, you know, I I used to think that that looking at life and and uh, you know once you that the only scientific thing you could say is that uh, is that we don't have a scientific explanation for the complexity that's there, and and that would be the proper place to leave it. Uh, but I, I think I've been persuaded uh, by Stephen Meyer's argument um, that that uh, we have the ability to uh, detect design. Okay. And and uh, actually, uh, and and so uh, rational people. Uh, not even necessarily um, believers. You know, mm-hmm. we, we use these processes to detect design. We detect uh, things that are man-made all the time. Uh, and uh, uh, that applying those same processes to living things, yeah, it, it's, you can come up with a conclusion. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, a, a Christian or a theist or anything else to arrive at those conclusions. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm much more uh, that, that a rational, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's, I'm not sure what it means to be a scientific uh, view of these things, but, but certainly a, a, a rational view of things is that you look at things, uh, things look designed, and, and that, you know, good reason to think they are designed. And so uh, uh, to throw it out simply because um, uh, we're, we're all going to start with atheistic assumptions, I think, is, is you know, just bad logic uh, in, okay. in many regards. Um, I think what this is going to do, I think, is is um, is probably. I think students are uh, they can sniff out indoctrination pretty well, mm-hmm. and I think what you're going to see is you know if you if you if you um, essentially tell people what to think mm-hmm. on this subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like, hopefully, I think the hopeful thing would be there would be a, a fairly significant backlash either among students. I think, you know, students know when they're being, you know, being, being uh, indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd have, you'd have students who would, would say, hold it, you know, uh, there's going to be another side to this story. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I would I would hate to see it where where uh, where if a teacher is a, is a critic of evolution, he has to smuggle in something like uh, like uh, the the book uh, uh, the book that we just came out with um, 
uh, exploring evolution. Mm-hmm. You know that, uh, that you know you'd have to put it under, put it in a bag. <laughs> uh, but I could I could see that at uh, in, in some public schools. You know mm-hmm. that uh, uh, where it's you know it's sort of whispered. Mm-hmm. You know that that uh, no, uh, the mm-hmm. evidence isn't as solid as this. Yeah. Uh, and. Um, because you're like that, you're seen as the revolutionary, even though um, you are a credentialed biologist teaching there at the University mm-hmm. of Wisconsin. By the way, if you're just joining us, we have on the phone Dr. Ralph Silke, and that's spelled S E E L K E. I've always always thought it's like the word silky, as in I have a silky tie at home hanging up. <laughs> but uh, Ralph Silk, Dr. Ralph Silke, is an experimenter. He's actually conducting experiments, and I really stress that word because a lot of people, including the St. Pete Times imply that, oh, no one's doing experiments that support intelligent design. Well, that's utterly and outlandishly false. We have on the phone with us one of the leading experimenters, biologists, uh, or experimental biologists, who's actually doing experiments to validate the the theory of irreducible complexity of Dr. Michael Behe. So uh, what you're saying, Dr. Silk, Dr. Silky, is that either there are a, 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 there's a weird period that we're in mm-hmm. where the Darwinian doctrines are being questioned, but you almost have to do it in a subversive way, or at least maybe quiet way, Otherwise, you can result being um, pinned to the mat and really forced to, uh, you know, get out of the classroom or something. Yeah, I, and, and high schools, I think, are much worse on that. Mm-hmm. I think high schools tend to, uh, you know, there's things you can teach and absolutely cannot teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as, a, as a university professor, I can I can question evolution, you know, at, at least once now that I'm tenured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's my, my job is not on the line when I when I do that. Well, uh, but I, I think a high school, I, I know in the high schools, um, they have very uh, often rigid curricula they have to follow. And if they don't follow that, a high school teacher can get in trouble. There's been plenty of examples of it actually, you know, that actually happening. Okay. Well, I want to jump right in. We have about two minutes left in this segment. I want to begin to open the door to your research. And let's go into the nitty gritty, the details of what you're doing. But if you could just give us a glimpse of as you got up and running and the mm-hmm. idea to experiment on this topic, wasn't that triggered by reading Michael Behe's book in, in the mid 90s? Tell us about that story. We have about a minute and 10 minutes, about a minute and a half. Well, when I when I read Behe, uh, uh, that is Darwin's black box, mm-hmm. uh, like everybody else, I, I saw a very strong argument that uh, that evolution had some clear le- limits and, and a and you know, once you see that design, almost falls out uh, immediately. Uh, but I saw a research program there, uh, and and as I looked into it, uh, it became uh, clear that this was an untapped research area. Uh, the and my my sort of slogan has been, "What can evolution really do?" Hmm. Uh, not not what we think it, it can do, not what it appears to have done in the fossil record, uh, but what can you show it to do? And and so. Uh, uh, Behe's book really stimulated my my whole thinking um, as a microbiologist, and and actually uh, the other thing that I ran into about that same time was some research by someone by the name of Richard Lenski at uh, a Michigan State. I believe he's at Michigan State, mm-hmm. and he's the one that's taking bacteria, E. coli bacteria, and breeding them over many generations. He has done over forty thousand generations. Forty thousand generations. Uh, I mean. Any- and he, and it's, but uh, he was doing some very simple experiments. He was mm-hmm. taking 12 cultures and growing them 
in a in a uh, broth that was very low in glucose, mm-hmm. and he and he transferred them every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that means, and in doing so, he got six point six generations every day. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Because since we're almost out of time in this segment, let's keep it right at that moment because you're telling us about an E. coli program, breeding program that literally right. can, can can mimic millions of years Absolutely. of human evolution. Absolutely. An amazing, an amazing research program, which I want to hear all the nitty gritty uh, details about that when we come back with Darwin or Design. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design, coming to you each week on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, WTBN, AM 570 and 910. I'm Tom Woodward, and I'm the one that uh, has the privilege of sharing good news uh, from the front of science, technology, and its borderland with faith and the Christian approach and worldview to uh, uh, there being a creator, there being a master designer and architect of this universe, of the world, and of uh, the, the beauty of humanity, the beauty and um, uh, intelligence that we find in being a human. So we are excited to have with us today, if you've been uh, listening along, I'm sure you've enjoyed uh, the comments and the uh, news from the University of Wisconsin, the Superior Campus up in the town of Superior in northern Wisconsin, from the biology uh, office of uh, Professor Ralph Silkey. And if you're trying to uh, Google the name uh, Silky, you mean to probably ne- need to know the spelling, and it's S E L K E. Dr. Ralph Silky uh, with us on the phone. We appreciate so much your time, Dr. Ralph Silky, there at the biology department at University of Wisconsin. Oh, good to be here, Tom. Yeah, and I just would appreciate also if you would just follow on the story you were sharing with us uh, just a few minutes ago as you were explaining your research. Some of us may have heard about you through you know various venues and and especially chapter 12 of my book uh, Darwin Strikes Back tells the story about your research and how amazing things are being revealed about the limits of evolution could you just uh, give us in a capsule summary what uh, the professor who was working with E. coli bacteria how his work kind of inspired you to enter your research uh, project that you're working on still right there yeah yeah sure Uh, it was Richard Lenski's work at uh, I believe Michigan State and uh, he was able to take E. coli through uh, more than 40,000 generations and simply by growing them each day and and diluting them uh, basically 100 fold each day and then growing them up and uh, but uh, and, and what he found was interesting, but he really wasn't asking uh, a really tough question of evolution. Um, his his back his microbes got better at growing under the conditions he was uh, growing them. Uh, mostly, they lost genes. Uh, these are these are E. coli bacteria. That these live. are E. coli, yeah. right? Bacteria. And uh, and uh, in terms of getting better, they they did it by sort of ditching some of their genetic material. <laughs> Kind of a sad story, um, but I said, "Well, you know, let's let's ask E. coli to do something interesting. Actually, uh, evolve a new function uh, that it would need in that environment." And so, uh, I set out to do that, and it turns out, uh, incredibly, nobody had ever tried to do that really very much. And uh, so, I I gave it a very very specific evolutionary task. Uh, I uh, I 
made a strain of E. coli that had uh, everything it needed to make the amino acid tryptophan, mm-hmm. except uh, one of the genes had two mistakes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I was addressing is, is uh, kind of a major uh, question. What happens when evolution has to do two things at once? And uh, it, you know, doing one thing at a time has never been a problem. Uh, it, it, as long as each step is an improvement, uh, it's very easy to see how evolution produces results. But the problem with doing two things at once is uh, just a matter of probability. If, uh, if the one event is a, is a one in a million event and the second event is a one in a million event, uh, doing both is a one in a trillion event. Hmm. And one in a million is, is, uh, is a high frequency of mutation. Uh, the, the ones that, you know, that we work with here are about one in a hundred million. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what happens when you, when you ask evolution to do two things at once? And, and incredibly, that had not been asked. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, let's, let's see if this is, is really the, the problem it is. Or uh, maybe, there, maybe some of these solutions that people offer, such as co-option, uh, that uh, people have argued against, uh, against Behe's conclusions, maybe they can actually work. So I, so I did that. Uh, I took a, a gene that was needed to make uh, the amino acid tryptophan, and I deliberately put in two mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, I, uh, and, then, and the thing is, uh, if, if, uh, if my microbe is able to make tryptophan, it's an enormous advantage in that system. It's, uh, I, sometimes I, I compare it to, it's like, it's like being in poverty and, uh, and finding a, a printing press that makes money that's, that people accept. You know, if you, were, if you were in a poor neighborhood and you had the printing press that made money, um, you know, you'd be, you'd be uh, in evolutionary terms, more fit than everybody else. And, and so a cell that could make its own tryptophan in this environment, it takes over um, mm-hmm. almost well, practically overnight. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so this is uh, the thing is I can find this sort of evolutionary event very easily. Now, is it, is it you, did it, you literally look at the test tube to see if it's cloudy? Right. Know? That's you, all you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's, and it's cool. We, we've, we don't see this happening much and, mm-hmm. and never when, there, when more than one thing needs to happen at a mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But you come in the next day mm-hmm. and the test tube is cloudy and you say, oh, evolution just happens. <laughs> and, you know, you, you find somebody to show it to. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's very cool. So, yeah, it's very easy to, to track that, uh, that sort of event. Uh, and you can literally ask trillions of cells to do it. Um, mm-hmm. We have a, uh, I can put 20 billion bacteria on a plate and, uh, and give them a little tryptophan so that they grow somewhat. But if there are uh, evolutionary events, mutations, that occur so that uh, some of them are able to make their own tryptophan mm. in three days I can find those mm. and uh, so if I do 50 plates I test I test a trillion organisms uh, you know and, and a trillion is a big number Tom mm-hmm. but, you know yeah. so uh, I did this I've been doing this since uh, about 2005 mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we pretty much found out uh, within 2000 generation that, that takes about a year um, that, that evolution simply can't do two things at once. That um, hmm. kind of my, my little quip, how is evolution like a guy, you know, has trouble doing more than one thing at a time. Um, <laughs> Girls can multitask. Evolution, like, like guys, can't like multi- guys, they, you know, can't multitask. Bad multitasker. Okay. 
uh, was was you know we we pretty well validated that, and, and I thought, well, this is going to be kind of a dull dull project. Um, actually, what happened after that was made it interesting. Uh, it turned out that I did not uh, put in two mutations that both knocked knocked out this gene. I put in one that knocked it out and one that only weakened it. Um, uh, so, and that changed the entire story. And, and all of a sudden, it became a big puzzle because if you have one that knocks it out, Tom, mm-hmm. and one that weakens it, uh, most people would say, "Well, what's the problem here? You have a you have a natural path. You you revert the one that uh, that knocks out the gene, and then the gene is is weak." But you know, it's uh, uh, it's it's only mostly dead. It's not completely dead, right? And so, what happens is, if if the gene is is weak but not dead, uh, those cells have an advantage. Mm-hmm. They're able to make a little tryptophan, mm-hmm. and they uh, and they're able to grow better than everybody else. And they would and, produce the cloudy. Uh, well, they would they would initially produce more. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they would not uh, be able to become. You know, they're not robust makers of tryptophan but they're better mm-hmm. and so they would uh, they they should mm-hmm. dominate the culture and then from from that uh, that group of that population of cells that only has the one mutation now that's weak you should evolve another one that uh, that uh, is is fully able to make tryptophan and what, and, and, and what did you find out it doesn't didn't work hmm. it wasn't doing that you know and and uh, there was a little crisis this happened uh, August 2006 and there was a hmm. it was kind of a crisis in my lab you know that I had I made a mistake hmm. and uh, you know uh, did I put in more than two was I making the you know the job harder than it was supposed to be and hmm. and uh, that wasn't true hmm. and um, it turns out uh, and this is it's been a hard thing to explain, um, but in essence, these bacteria evolve to become unevolvable, mm. uh, and that's that's a hard concept. Uh, um, but uh, but basically, it's it's kind of like um, <clears throat> kind of like if you have a high school kid um, who wants to make money, and they drop out of school and start working for a fast food place. Mm-hmm. Um, now that that decision to drop out of school initially gets you more money than the other tenth graders in high school, and so you're you're initially you have more money. Um, but those people who don't drop out, who are looking at the future, you know, they go to college and and they get good jobs. You're still stuck working fast food. And then what happens is if you decide to go back to college, sometimes it's hard to go back, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially, my bacteria were doing that. They were taking a path that was sort of a an easy evolutionary path that made them a little more fit. But once they got there, they couldn't evolve to the further goal mm. of making their own trip the same because they're not goal-oriented. So they, the f- they can't see the future. Right. Since we have just about a, little, a minute, a little over a minute left, uh, if you could just then capsulize what you did, what you're learning from your experiments with E. coli, and then we can in the next segment draw out some other implications. Sure. What if if you were given like a 45 second soundbite? What have you learned yeah. about evolution? Well, the number two is an evolutionary stopper. Wow. Uh, basically, if if you ask evolution to do two things at once, uh, it will generally not do it. Now, Michael Behe has found rare cases where two doesn't stop, mm-hmm. but the number two is an evolutionary stopper. Mm-hmm. And secondly, 
the world, you're, we're surrounded by cells, molecules, systems, uh, which, which need, you know, two, three, four, five, ten, forty parts, all that have to work together. And so, from, uh, from an experimental standpoint, uh, there is no way that we've seen to get over that that barrier when mm-hmm. multiple things have to happen mm-hmm. to get a new function it's a barrier okay it, it, it is an evolution stopper well this is so you know basic important vital and literally revolutionary i mean kind of a counter-revolutionary yeah. sense well I it wanna, shouldn't be <laughs> yeah it, sh- it shouldn't be yeah i want to if you could hang on just a few more minutes as we extend into one more segment can you do that with us sure. okay you're listening to dr ralph silkey on the phone from the university of wisconsin at the biology department talking about evidence that points away from the standard darwinian theory of evolution you're listening to darwin or design i'm tom woodward we'll be right back Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design. You're listening to one of the more exciting programs. I think Bill Carl and I, during the break, were just discussing how amazingly well-equipped we are being made by Dr. Ralph Silke at the University of Wisconsin. Agreed? Oh, I, I just get to be, you know, I have relatives who are incredibly intelligent and live in the same world as Dr. Silke, and it's going to be nice to be able to visit that world at Thanksgiving and actually have something substantive to say. Yeah. <laughs> so. Evolution stops it, too. That's indeed the, the, the bottom-line conclusion. Now... We've uh, been listening as uh, we have been uh, bringing out several times to one of the most important experimental theorists in the United States who is actually doing lab experimentation to demonstrate the limits of evolution. And we're listening to and uh, having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Ralph Silke. Uh, if you want to Google his name for uh, just kind of reference purposes, it's uh, S-E-E-L-K-E. Uh, Dr. Ralph Silke, University of Wisconsin at Superior Campus, uh, working in the de- uh, biology department. Uh, thankfully, he is tenured, so he has the opportunity. Thankfully. Yeah, yes, thankfully. So he can have the freedom to do rather controversial and even revolutionary research that Darwinists probably do not really want to students to hear about so what we're in, in effect we're, we're airing a program that uh that the biology tip teacher typical biology teacher might say don't listen to that <laughs> it's great to be a subversive isn't it bill mm, okay so, want to be a revolutionary yeah, go ahead we're getting that way so dr ralph silky you've been telling us about your your e coli your bacteria experiments with the same bacteria that live in our i guess intestines would be mm-hmm. a safe um description yeah and uh I have used this analogy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, what you're doing in your research, you're testing the theory in Michael Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box, which talks about complex systems, all of which uh, are which have many parts, for example, right. the, ma- the mousetrap. Right. And so and the function of that system depends on having all these little protein parts all hooked together, all integrated as one system. And Darwinian evolution seems to have a problem building uh, even just from a thinking about it kind of perspective. Right. Has a hard time building up that system step by step. In a way, you're going even to a, a more minute level because you're taking a single part. Right. From a multi-part system that uh, really kind of manufactures this important 
substance called tryptophan, one of the 20 amino acids, one of the one uh, one of the 20 chemical letters used in to build proteins. And you're taking that one part of that tryptophan manufacturing system and damaging it critically right. in uh, two places. Right. And then you're seeing if evolution, giving billions and even trillions of opportunities, can repair two digits, and it's failed to do so. Okay. That's pretty much the story. <laughs> and so uh, what, what you're showing is even if you had four parts to the mouse trap, if you take, let's say, the spring and cause two DNA digits to be messed up so it doesn't form that nice little coil of a spring, right. and, and you just say, you're basically saying to the mouse trap and to even the coil itself, come on, guys, come on, guys, you're just two digits away. You just have to have two little DNA mutations at the same time, and you're there. And right. evolution is like crying up to you at the threshold of function and saying, I can't, I don't have the ability to evolve, even that last half inch. Can't do two things at once. Okay. And uh, and again, uh, again, the the part that has gotten complicated is sometimes when there is a what we would see as an obvious path to doing one thing at a time, uh, the the cell gets off off that path uh, mm-hmm. because there's a there's a a local more convenient way to go. And uh, just like a kid who drops out of high school because money now is better than a, you know. A little money now is better than a lot of money later. Um, e. coli does that, and, and the populations do it every time. Hmm. Uh, every time uh, they, they, they take this little side path that uh, the best way to describe is they, they evolve to become unevolvable. Hmm. Um, and every time they do it. And it's, um, uh, that, was, that was kind of the interesting thing. And this is something uh, uh, Behe has pointed out, that uh, um, in, a, in an, any sort of uh, evolutionary travel where you're trying to get better, uh, there's all, all, all sorts of little peaks, like if you think of it as a mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just a smooth mountain. There are all these little peaks. And, and if you get on a peak, you can't get off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, and 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 uh, so even if there appears to be what we would say a uh, a clear path uh, where one thing after another after another, uh, there's there's no guarantee that uh, the organism isn't gonna gonna get off that. Uh, it's gonna find some other way to become more fit, mm-hmm. uh, but not ultimately more fit, if, not, if, I, can, if I can use that. Because it can't, yeah, that it little can't, work, it can't, uh, can't look uh, across the landscape and see a distant peak and right, set out to, to, right. to walk over to that distant peak. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and, uh, and so because, uh, you know, not having a mind, mm-hmm. uh, you can't look ahead and see, mm-hmm. um, no, I don't want to do this because mm-hmm. eventually that will keep me from reaching that further goal. You know, evolution simply can't be goal-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you are actually a featured, if I remember, on one of the trailers of the new movie coming out in just a matter of a few weeks, six weeks I, or I am so. in the trailer, although yeah. I, I was... You, you didn't <laughs> I make the cut for the final film, I guess. I didn't, I didn't make the cut for the final film. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in... in uh, I'm talking about expelled the movie expelled, with Ben Stein. Expelled yeah. the movie yeah. with Ben right. Stein. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, what we're uh, really saying, though, is that you have experienced experienced a little bit of being expelled in terms of a change in the uh, readiness of one of the people out at a West Coast university. Right. Can you share, without naming names, can you share what happened to you? Oh, it was, that was a very interesting uh, part of this. I, uh, I, I constructed these, these mutants, um, made my mutants, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
uh, in Stanford. It w- I was on a sabbatical, and uh, the sabbatical was in uh, basically the the winter, um, January through uh, June of uh, 2004. And I began arranging this in early in, oh, I don't know, 2002 or 2003, and, and had it very well arranged to work in a, in a certain lab at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was supposed to leave for Stanford uh, January 26th, and uh, December 28th of the 2003, I, I get a call from uh, my sponsor, the individual who, you know, we had, and he had looked at my work. We both agreed that this was interesting work. Uh, and it's basically it's what I'm doing now. Uh, it's, it was it was constructing mm-hmm. these mutants to be able to do this work to see what evolution can do. Right, right. When, to, when, to see when what, forced. The, what the limits mm-hmm. of evolution would be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, calls me up, or I think I called him up, and he said, uh, "I was on your website, and you're a sympathizer of intelligent design." And he disinvited me. And and it was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the science was good. Uh, it was interesting up until the point where it had implications for design. And when he saw you as a guy who's open to the implications of design, that uh, basically made him an opponent of your scientific research into reality. Right. Yeah. That and, is unthinkable. And, that is that that you know that's the kind of thing that we need expelled the movie you know, just for that kind of uh, environment, that kind of uh, almost anti-intellectual environment that's come yeah. to dominate the biology, not all, but some of the biology labs yeah. across yeah. this country. And, and the the problem was it was his own tenure. Uh, he was an assistant professor, uh, and he did not want even if if he did not. Uh, uh, you know, draw the same conclusions from my work that I do. Uh, he did not want his name tainted uh, by that. You know, and and it was because he he uh, you know he was on this track for tenure. Uh, the happy ending was uh, that I found a microbiologist uh, in a in a different part of the university who was tenured, by the way. Uh, and he and he wasn't a it wasn't that that we agreed on this. Mm-hmm. But he still thought it was an interesting project. It was an interesting question, mm. uh, and he he agreed to to sponsor my work. Uh, and so, uh, so there. And on the flip side, that doesn't mean uh, everybody's mind is closed. Mm. Um, and uh, and so I was I was able to to do that work. had a had a wonderful time at Stanford, actually. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it it came. <clears throat> I was. Um, Basically, December twenty eighth, two thousand three. I was all dressed up and nowhere to go. Wow! You know, I had uh, had my sabbatical all planned, and and um, you know, had, a, had an apartment rented at uh, Palo Alto, and hmm. and uh, the plug was pulled. But uh, fortunately, uh, I got you know. Got, you went to a different got, side of the university, a different part of the university, and. Hmm. Uh, and it, it had a happy ending. That's so. good. Well, we're glad that it did and paved the way to your current research. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Ralph Silke, the professor of biology, one of the many professors of biology at the University of Wisconsin at the Superior Campus. Uh, the, probably the Madison would be the best known, uh, the mother of all campuses. Yes. <laughs> University of Wisconsin. So we'll make it very clear. This is not the Madison campus. This is the Superior Campus. Now, we are also, uh, of course, uh, talking to uh, not only Dr. Ralph Silke about this uh, specific experimental area, but of course, the, the case for design. Would you, uh, to give people kind of the picture before your research is actually published in uh, whatever journal you're mm-hmm. hoping to publish it in, would you encourage
encourage people to look into the work of Dr. Behe, especially oh, his, his yeah. new book, Edge of uh, the Edge of Evolution. Yeah, Edge of Evolution. Uh, uh, really, uh, really, what what Mike did was uh, was take uh, two excellent examples. Uh, you know, where the numbers are really large. I mean, uh, where we're, we're talking in the trillions. And again, uh, the one of the <clears throat> one of the important things. To, to think about is that uh, numbers can essentially model time. It's not really time that you need for evolution. It's numbers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, uh, one person infected with malaria is fighting a trillion organisms. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and uh, when you're and when you're trying to kill all those with a drug, mm-hmm. essentially it's an evolutionary setup. Yep. Um, you know, because if, if that, that uh, one malaria organism is resistant to that drug, mm. it will survive. Yep. And, so, uh, and so he made, between that and HIV and, and a little bit on E. coli, uh, he makes a very good case from, uh, from these historical things that, um, uh, and, and I, I would view my work as, as, as complementary mm-hmm. uh, to his. You know, I'm, right. I'm doing the, you know, work in a laboratory and, right. and uh, he is looking at this from a more historical perspective. And, and of course, his point is, if I remember, that the the mutations that we actually know of, the ones that we can track down right. and observe to the last nook and cranny right. of those Africans and African Americans who struggle with malaria, right. we can inspect their DNA, right. we can inspect that of malaria. And mutations are occurring, but they're all damaging things. They're all damaging, yeah. We yeah. don't see, we don't new see anything, functions. nothing new is being developed. We don't see new, and we don't see new things in uh, plasmodium, in, in the malaria hmm. uh, organism. Uh, which would we be much more likely to see right. because there's so many more of right. them than there are of us. Okay. Well, uh, we're just about out of time. I wanted to say a huge and gigantic thank you to you, Dr. Ralph oh, Silky, for joining us fun. on the phone. And we'll look forward to having maybe another uh, update as your uh, work gets published. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Have, have a great day. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Bill Carl, that was one of the more unforgettable, I think, interviews we've ever done. And I think oh, that we're you. seeing here uh, evidence of design in a, in, a, in a very powerful experimental way. Uh, would you agree? Oh, no question. I think what Dr. Silky brought to the table is, uh, for me in any way, and I know as, our, as we listen today, all of us just kind of going, wow, now this is some of the, the nuts and bolts that really brings us to a good place in terms of uh, articulating the intelligent design argument. Yes, and of course, many, many people, including the St. Pete Times, would have, have you believe that there's no case in science for design, well, you've been listening to an outstanding case of research into bacteria that actually inhabit our own bodies that points to a designer. And what is the purpose of the designer, of course, is to not only have us speculate about who is the designer, but to uh, really come to know him in the revelation that we find in the book of John, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word came and dwelled among us and made himself known as the Messiah. And of course, uh, that's historical evidence, and maybe we can just devote a a program into that, uh, you know, basically examining that area of evidence as well. Thank you for joining us for a great uh, time together with Dr. Ralph Silkey. We'll see you next week on Darwin or Design.